SAFM supports a litter-free South Africa. Play your part in keeping our surroundings and environment clean. SAFM, leading the conversation. Night Talk, giving you depth and texture to the conversations that matter. Thank you so much for joining us. We want to open the calls and SMSs to you. What is your view on the uh, Israeli-Gaza conflict? Uh, as always, you know how to get in touch. But right now, we do have our policy interview. This is the part we get to talk about all things uh, policy making and decisions. So the Constitutional Court making a historic decision regarding anti-nuptial contracts in marriages. And I think there's a lot of complexities to this. If you're still trying to figure it out, don't worry. We'll break it down without getting too much on the legalities, I hope, because we do have a legal eagle with us. It's Ekta Diochan, attorney at the Legal Resources Center. Good evening. Welcome to the show, Ekta. Good evening. Thank you for having me. So if you thought understanding load scheduling or the load shedding schedule was tricky, I was trying to read this uh, policy <laughs> document and... and um, yeah, I, I have to ask you, first things first, uh, you know, what would you label this? Is it a victory for women in South Africa? Can you explain why exactly this judgment is such a game changer? Yes, so we would say it is a victory for women because the section of the Divorce Act was declared unconstitutional on the grounds of gender discrimination. Um so basically, it extends a remedy which already existed in law. So there were certain categories, category of marriages where a court could redistribute assets and take into account non-financial contributions of one spouse. Um, most, most of the time, that is the contributions of a woman to homemaking, to looking after the children. If she leaves her job, she contributes in other ways to the matrimonial home and not necessarily through financial means. Um, so the court did have a discretion to only marriages from before 1984, um, because in 1984, an act came into play, which said that going forward, all marriages um, out of community of property would be included accrual, unless specifically excluded in an anti-nuptial contract. Um, so basically, it, the legislature um, upheld people's choice um, to say if they choose to separate their property, then that would be enforced. But now this overturns that legal position and basically says that all marriages, regardless of the date that it's been entered into, if it's out of community or property without accrual, um, you can go to court and ask the court to make a just and equitable order um, to redistribute assets from the wealthier spouse to the non-wealthy spouse. Cut-off set in 1984, though. Sorry? Why was the cut-off set in 1984? Yes, so the cut-off was in 1984, prior to 1984, because that's the year that the Matrimonial Property Act came into play. Mm. And that act basically said that going forward, all marriages, if it's out of community of property, would be inclusive of accrual unless specifically excluded. So they thought that people would be taken care of with that clause. But mm -hmm. of course, 
um, when people enter into contracts, there's often a power imbalance and people may agree to having out of accrual and out of community of property um, without necessarily understanding the consequences of that later down the line. So how did the Commission for Gender Equality and the LRC decide to get involved in this case? Yes, yeah, so we have been involved for a long time in um, submissions to the Law Reform Commission on matrimonial property in general because it is an area of our law which needs development um, for to be more in line with equity. Um, and we are aware of many instances where women are often are impacted by this section where they're left destitute without any recourse on divorce. Um, so that is why both the Commission and the LRC got involved um, and we put to the court international jurisprudence, international case law, um, international law, basically, which p- supports the proposition that the court is able to make to grant this order and to support that the section of the act is unconstitutional on the basis that it discriminates indirectly um, women who are who are mainly impacted by this section. Now, you mentioned an applicant's marriage in 1988 and her non-financial contributions. Can you elaborate on what constitutes non-financial contributions? Does it cover everything from emotional support to those big Sunday lunches, maybe? Yes, so in this particular case, it was a farmer's wife who brought the application. Um, So she contributed non-financially to him expanding his farming business. Um, she also took care of the kids. She contributed to the home. She um, ha- had administrative um, tasks before her to, to manage the home and look after the family life and also supported him um, in his business so he could accumulate um, much wealth in, in the course of his um, farming business. So it is very broad what the court will look at. And you've also had uh, international conventions, the AU's Maputo Protocol cited. How does South Africa compare to other countries in terms of gender equality in marital laws? Yes, so that's an interesting one. I think we do have gender equality um, on the face of it, but there are lots of regulations and laws where indirectly the impact of it um, does discriminate against women like this particular case. Um, I think we are ahead compared to other African countries in terms of our legislation providing for equal treatment on divorce of both parties, Um, but it still wasn't in line with international conventions necessarily. Um, So yes, I think it's it's in subtle ways that discrimination may be experienced. Um, sometimes it's in, in terms of trust law. So trust has been used to and um, often to hide um, marital assets to, so that one party isn't able to claim. Um, so there's, there's a lot of subtle ways that discrimination can come into play. Um, but I think on the face of it, our laws may be a bit more equitable than other countries. Now, the court highlighted here uh, the disparities between genders, especially noting the economic inequalities faced by women. 
How do you think this judgment will ripple out and potentially change the landscape? Yes, I think this judgment is significant because it basically gives women options. So the, so the social landscape is that women are not um, as employed on, on the job workforce as men. A lot of women choose to leave work, the workforce when they have kids um, or they get married. Um, and sometimes they're trapped in those marriages because they feel like they have no recourse on, on divorce or, or should they walk out of these marriages. But this will change that. Um, knowing that they have some, they're not going to be left destitute, left with nothing. There is recourse um, should they choose to leave marriages. Um, and also to empower women to know that the, it's, the playing fields will be more equal. Indeed. Ekta, if I may mm. ask, how does the LRC view certainty in contracts versus ensuring fairness and justice between spouses? It does seem like a tricky tightrope to walk. Mm. Yes, it is. Um, I wouldn't say controversial, but it is, it is a difficult one. Um, but it's not something that is new to our law. Um, so there is a a constitutional court case called Barkhaven, where a court did have to look at fairness in contracts. And the court held that even contracts, um, even where parties were autonomous and entered into these contracts, they still had to comply with the principles of the constitution. The constitution is supreme and fairness is a principle in the constitution. So these contracts did have to be in line with the constitution and not against public policy. Um, so we would take that one step further in in family contracts. Mm. Um, so we think the standards should be higher in family contracts for the principles of fairness and justice and equity to prevail um, because it's not a business contract. It's not an ordinary commercial contract. There should be a different standard when it comes to, to matters of re- relationships, especially where people are entering into contracts that are going to have an impact on them decades down the line. Um, and take and it should take into account the social realities of people and their um, positions in life when they enter into these contracts, um, not knowing what the consequences may be decades later. Absolutely, and and I think you've mentioned it earlier about more women not being in the workforce. Are we seeing a change as well, where more men now are choosing to be stay-at-home dads? And that could then change the dynamics of this mm. this this ruling. Yes, so I think it definitely is becoming more prevalent, um, having men be stay at home or and women as women are becoming more empowered, um, in a sense. But that's that's the the law is there to protect all parties. Um, even if it is is the the man who um, contributed in non-financial ways, he would have as equal a claim to enforce this provision of the law. Um, so it applies to any spouse, whether it's male or female, who indirectly contributed. Um, and it is very possible that it could be utilized by males to to access their right to recourse as well. I'm glad you cleared that up. So there, mm-hmm. there was a focus, though, on uh, anti-nuptial contracts or ANCs, and we're not talking about the ANC, the party. Could you break mm-hmm. down the significance of such contracts in the South African context? 
Yes, so the antinuptial contract is basically the contract contract you enter into before marriage, um, which stipulates how your assets will be divided at the end of the marriage, um, if the marriage ends by a divorce. Um, so this the main types are um, in community of property, outer community of property with accrual, and outer community of property without accrual, which is a complete separation of assets. Um, So it's advisable that each party get individual legal advice before entering into the contract, um, before they get married. People often just are thinking about the wedding. They're not thinking about the legalities. Um, Mm -hmm. And it it also is very difficult to register. Well, it's it's more difficult to register your contract after the marriage. Um, So it's advisable that it be done before, and it has to be done through the services of a notary who will actually register it. Um, in the deeds registry, and that is to protect creditors. So creditors will actually know under what marital regime you are married under. I I hear you. What you're saying is that this judgment might encourage more couples to delve deeper into understanding marital contracts before Mm. tying the knot instead of debating over wedding colors and wedding venues and choices and, you know, those things we get sidetracked on. Mm, Absolutely. It's so important. And also to register your marriage is is, is another thing that people um, often forget they have the white wedding, but actually to register it with home affairs and a marriage officer um, is also something significant that people need to remember to do um, in addition to sorting out their marital contracts before they get married. 100%. What's next now for the Commission for Gender Equality? Are there other landmark cases or initiatives on the horizon we should keep our eyes and ears on? Oh, we're looking at a lot of different issues um, um, impacting women and land and women specifically. Um, but we are also in the process of making comments on the Matrimonial Property um, Act amendments. So that's being put through by the Law Reform Commission. Um, so we will be making comments on that from um, a more equitable viewpoint. Um, but aside from that, yes, we, there's, lots, there's lots, lots of change which is needed in the country um, specifically to advance the rights of women. So we're always looking at, at innovative ways to assist women and uphold the rights of women. Hector, hello. Hi. Yeah, lastly, I'm, I was just asking for anyone listening and thinking that they might be in a similar boat, what advice or steps would you suggest they take after this judgment? Yeah, so the first thing is being aware that you do actually have a right now to claim you're not going to be left without a legal remedy if you are married out of community property without accrual and you anticipate that you will be going through a divorce. Um, Unfortunately, the judgment does not apply to divorces which have already been finalized. Um, But going forward, any new divorce matters, it will uh, be applied. Um, And you don't necessarily need legal representation in divorce matters. Um, The regional magistrate's court is supposed to be very user-friendly and they should assist women or people in those courts with their divorce matters. Um, but where it is a bit more complicated, it's advisable to try and seek legal assistance 
and if you can't afford an attorney, there are clinics um, and legal aid who do offer um, legal representation in divorce matters. Um, so the first thing I think is just knowing that there is this change in the law, um, and secondly, just knowing where to go to be able to assert that. Yeah, I think uh, this judgment also might influence future challenges to laws that may be seen as mm. dim- discriminatory or outdated in the context of modern South Africa. Absolutely. I think the law is constantly changing and evolving in line with our with the values of our society at present. Um, so I, I do think this is a, a, a great step in the right direction. And uh, I also want to know, has there been some sort of reaction or feedback you've seen from the legal community? Um, so very interestingly, we were one amicus in the matter on behalf of Commission of Gender Equality, but the Gauteng Attorneys Association was the second amicus admitted. And they actually tried opposing the release on the basis that it would um, was not in line with um, certainty in contracts. Um, mm. So they, it was a very strong opposition by the legal fraternity trying to oppose that this is passed. And, um, and what were their reasons, mm. Ekta? Um, so basically they wanted to uphold the sanctity of contracts and saying that there are other remedies available on divorce, um, such as maintenance. Um, but in terms of maintenance, you can only claim a portion to maintain your lifestyle. You can't claim any of the assets which have been accumulated during the course of the marriage. So there are limited remedies, but um, they argue that that was sufficient and there was no need to amend the law. And what happened to that case? Was there, Were they given the, the right to their view? Or was it? Yes, so the court, the con court heard them. Um, they were allowed to make submissions at the court, um, as were we. Um, but the court ultimately decided that um, certainty is not enough to outweigh the benefits of declaring this unconstitutional. And the court also said just because the court has this discretion doesn't mean that it's going to ignore the contract. Um, actually, the contracts will be one of the factors that the court looks at, which will weigh heavily in the court's um, decision when it makes its dis- when it makes its decision. Um, so, court still has discretion, and it can look at all these factors. Um, and it it doesn't necessarily mean that the contract is not won't be given any weight. And then, have you had any reactions or feedback from civil society regarding this judgment? Um, I think from what we've seen, the reaction has largely been positive. I think um, mainly the legal fraternity was a bit taken aback by it. Um, and we know that it's very, a very male-dominated space. So it's not surprising that it's been received pushback by that, by that sector. But um, yeah, a civil society, um, as far as we know, has been... Um, had very positive reactions and welcomed the judgment. Mm-hmm. And what would you say, Ekta, are some of the key takeaways for the public, especially those potentially affected by this ruling? Um, I think it's important that people understand that um, it applies to all marriages now. Um, I think legal awareness is really imperative. People don't know people 
the law needs to be demystified to actually reach people that it impacts. People may not have even known that there was a remedy for marriages entered into prior to 1984. But just to be aware that there is now this remedy um, and the courts do have ultimate authority um, where the facts determine that it's required. So if you feel that you are in being unjustly treated at where where you are approaching divorce or in your marriage, um, just to be aware that there is this remedy um, and you are able to to lay claim um, and just to to know that your dignity will be respected and your contribution is acknowledged um, in raising the kids that that doesn't amount to nothing. There, there is value in raising your children and your family and taking care of your home. Well, we're going to continue to deep dive into this landmark mm-hmm. constitutional court judgment regarding Section 7 of 3 of the Divorce Act with Hector Deochan. We'll get back to our discussion after this quick break. Thank you so much. A quick break indeed. Ekta Deochand is with us and uh, it's important to note that uh, she is our legal eagle for tonight. She's an attorney at the Legal Resource Centre and this organisation represented the Commission for Gender Equality as a friend of the court. Some good work uh, you guys are doing there, Ekta. Now, I wanted to ask you, are there similar challenges in other countries where legal provisions in divorce acts have been seen as biased or discriminatory? And how have those nations responded? Yes, so I think there's different approaches in different jurisdictions. Um, there's definitely approaches like in the U.S. where contracts are absolutely sacrosanct. Um, there's no ways that they would deviate from prenuptial contracts. Um, as they call them there. Um, but there definitely are more progressive countries which have similar um, sort of legal principles as us where they do allow for deviations. So in Canada, for example, there are quite a few um, provinces that have legislation actually that allows courts to have an overarching jurisdiction. Um, there's case law in Kenya, which is also quite similar to our legal system. Um, where courts do have this discretion, if it's equitable to divide assets on divorce, um, the courts have the authority to do that. Um, and New Zealand as well um, has case law which says that if it's in the interest of justice, a court will um, will make an award which is just and equitable. Um, and you, the UK also does have case law which supports this proposition. So I would say it's varied. But if we look at countries which are more, have similar values to ours, it's not unusual to hear of countries which, which allow for this in the interest of justice. Hmm. It is interesting to see how we are positioned in this global community. Now, in your opinion, Ekta, how should the legal system continue to evolve to better address issues of gender discrimination and inequality in all spheres? Um, that's a, a big question. Um, you, you mean a matrimonial law or just in general? I think in general. In general? Um, I think there needs to be a lot more done um, in terms of 
um, bringing to life um, equality, um, gender equality. I think there's there's lots of different spheres um, mm. where the law doesn't necessarily take into account the lived realities of women. Um, yeah. For example, we are working on redistribution of land um, and asking for that land to be redistributed specifically to women. So we are going to release a report um, shortly, which actually shows that there are all these policies which says that women must be prioritized in beneficiary selection, but um, less than 10% of land has been redistributed to women through our land reform programs. Um, so I think on a policy level, we have we have the policies which mm. where gender is everywhere, um, saying that women must be prioritized, but um, but the people who are impacted the most are black women. Mm. Um, they're not, they're, there's no accountability. There's no one holding the state to account to actually show the improvement in the lives of women. Mm. Um, I, so, yeah, so, so we're working with the women's movement to advocate for a policy which actually is targeted at women, um, such as the one woman, one hectare policy. Wow. And that's mm. a very important point you raised. And I actually got very excited as you were saying it because the historical context of society in South Africa has to be considered because for me, listening to you and this ruling, it, it appears it will be an ongoing journey towards hopefully a more equitable society. I think it's constantly evolving. Um, the law is constantly evolving and hopefully towards a more equitable society. Um, I think we are very fortunate that we have such a progressive judiciary in our country, which moves towards um, case law and developing the law, which is in line with our constitutional principles. Um, Other countries are not so lucky. If you look at the US, for example, um, their case law and the Supreme Court is actually taking them backwards in terms of rights. So we are very fortunate that we have the law as an instrument of justice, which is what our organization does. We use the law to, as an instrument of justice to advance um, the position of vulnerable and marginalized people. Um, so, yeah, I think it's an, I agree with you, it's an ongoing journey. Um, but um, we also must celebrate the, the small wins and the small steps along the way. Interesting points you make there about a society going backwards. You want to elaborate a little bit more? Um, I'm not sure that I, it, it's needed to be said, but um, in terms of the rights of women in, in the abortion laws in the U.S. Mm. and the way that has been curtailed, um, it's actually very, very frightening um, the way that um, the Wade um, judgment was overturned by the Supreme Court. Um, so, yeah, in terms of in terms of our laws, I think we are miles ahead in terms of um, our our women's rights and reproductive health rights laws. But whether mm-hmm. that those rights are actually realized in practice is a whole other story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which 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 comes to my next point, right? Because the general public, especially you in the legal profession, your contribution. Uh, is important because the laws re- need to remain updated and, and reflective mm. of societal values. Mm. 
so that's that's a part of it um but the other part is unfortunately the law doesn't take us all the way the law is a starting point i feel and the implementation of the law is the hard part um that's sure. actually getting compliance and and it happens the way we go to court we get judgments the court will order government to do something and they just won't implement it um so hmm. getting compliance and monitoring that compliance um it actually requires civil society as a whole and active citizenry to get compliance and to hold um stakeholders to account to actually enforce those good judgments let's talk about the implementation of this judgment what what potential challenges or barriers do you foresee and how can they be addressed well access to justice in general in our country is very limited um so even though there are certain legal providers that do provide free legal services it is um it is challenging to access those providers i think um so that's the first challenge the second challenge is social barriers um that women face um they may feel that they're not empowered enough to actually bring that divorce action or they don't want to leave um a marriage because of kids um so it's actually breaking down that that social um barriers and the social stigma which prevent women from actually taking that step um towards independence and towards breaking the cycle of abuse or or, or those overcoming those sorts of challenges mm. um so i think it's multi-layered um there are there are different challenges but but there are definitely avenues um but but it's not without its challenges in our current social state yeah Absolutely it's easier said than done like you said mm. um implementation 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 now are you working on any other collaborations with the CGE and the LRC um not directly right now but um going forward we most likely will be we have worked with them often um and we've um, represented them many times um in other various cases um advancing the rights of women and marginalized people. Ekta, we're approaching the end of our segment. What message would you like to leave us with regarding the importance of continued vigilance in legal matters concerning gender rights and equality? Um I just like to thank you and um the platform. I think platforms like yours are so important um for people to be aware of what the law is and breaking it down so that it's accessible um and actually reaches the people who need to hear that there are options out there there are avenues there's recourse there is a system which is meant to work to help marginalized or help people who aren't necessarily in a position of power um so if anybody feels that is if any of your listeners are in that position mm. um and they feel as if they don't necessarily have the power just to know that things are changing and the scales are tipping um in favor of of that per- of that person and it's it's supposed to be more equal and we just need to work together to try and equalize the scales in practice and not just on paper once again ekta deachand for sharing your invaluable perspectives thank you it's been a very insightful conversation and i just hope it sparks more discussions on the road to gender equality thank you very much thank you so much
Stay tuned with us here on uh, Night Talk with me, Zaikan. That was Hector Diochan, attorney at the Legal Resources Center. Uh, it's a company that represents the Commission for Gender Equality as a friend of the court. So what did you make of that? I mean, that was quite a legal maze to navigate. If you've got any more questions or you just want to share your thoughts, you know where to find us. You don't? Okay, let us inform you. You can get in touch with us here on SAFM many, many ways. You can call us on 0860-000-2032. That's 0860-000-2032. SMS us on 41391-CHARGE. SMS us at 150. WhatsApp us 061-410-4107. 11 o'clock. It's uh, Dineo Botong. She's there at the news center.